everyone, welcome to Tennis with an Accent. This is Saqib, joined by two good friends who are also big-time tennis fans and lo- love to analyze the sport. And no better moment than to preview the Wimbledon final, which is one of the biggest day in tennis. We have Kevin Anderson versus Novak Djokovic, and I'm joined by Raul from Durban, South Africa, and Vinny, who's coming on the, uh, to the podcast second time. He's still in California. Uh, welcome, guys, to do this on such a short notice. Hey, Saqib. Thanks for having, having me. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Sure. So it was a stellar match. Every time Nadal and Djokovic get together, especially more often than not, you know, they challenge each other and push their uh, push each other's limits. And today was no exception. So let me ask you, Rahul, first. When this match resumed today, did you think Nadal would come back this aggressive? And uh, he was really hitting uh, both backhand and forehands pretty pretty good. Backhand was very flat, and his down forehand was good. He used a drop shot. So did you expect Nadal to come so focused? When he was down two sets to one, I did. I mean, uh, Rafa's mentality—you know—he's world number one for a reason. Um, especially, I mean, last night uh, he botched the third set. So you know, pretty much entering this match, he needed uh, two sets to win, and he came in aggressive. He played incredible. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the forehand down the line, uh, his point construction, and I mean. Um, Novak, I thought, came out a bit passive. Um, no, but otherwise, I mean, so many memorable points. Eh? I mean, where do I start? Mm. So, Raul, so you think uh, Djokovic, again, you know, we, we've been comparing this as fans and analysts since he started his comeback, and he's, he looked pretty good today. So you think he's close to his best, I mean, tennis-wise, because uh, mentality-wise, he was, he was fabulous out there today. How close he is to his best. You know what? I sometimes, I was speaking to somebody earlier, uh, texting. This situation is similar in different ways to 2014, where Novak's last major was the 2013 Australian Open. He was struggling for confidence. He faced Federer in that 2014 final, and he won it. But then afterwards, he didn't really a surprise for the rest of the year, or shall I say, because he didn't do well in the North American swing. He went and he lost to Kei Nishikori, surprisingly, in that semis. I mean, obviously, Kei played um, a great match then. But I mean, for the rest of the year, it was, you know, up and down. And I actually feel, I think regardless of if he wins tomorrow or not, it's hard to say uh, if he's fully back or not. Okay. I mean, I thought he was back uh, in Rome. I mean, he played outstanding, you know, like when he played Rafa. But not looking at the French Open, I mean, that lot uh, surely rocked him. He's bounced back well, though. Uh, definitely. So, Vinny, uh, how did you see the resumption of this match? And Nadal was a supremely aggressive player out there. And you said to me before we started recording that uh, it was uh, it looked like his match to lose, but Djokovic really showed some extreme mental toughness, which Djokovic has shown before. So what is your takeaway point from the two sets they played today? So, I, I mean, it was interesting, right? So the first game, there was... Uh, Djokovic had a couple of chances. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that's generally the case with Nadal, is that until he gets comfortable there there's always a little bit of of a chance there in the beginning before he 
wins that first set or gets that first break. And so, you know, I, 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 I was thinking all along that Djokovic has to win this in four. I, I, I just didn't see, I mean, especially if, I mean, if it had continued yesterday or even today, I thought that Djokovic's best chance was to finish this in four. So to, to see him come back and do this in five, like without having, you know, had the, the, you know, the full time to get back to his old self, to me was remarkable and like I I just want to know where he got that energy you know towards in, in this match towards the end where he kind of looked like the old Novak in those last three four games of, of the fifth so you know to me to me that's the big story is like is 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 he really is he really back and if he is you know are we going to see are we going to see him at the top of his game pretty soon uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll get plenty of chances to discuss that but let's stay uh, for, with this match for a few more minutes so, uh, Vinny, you brought interesting points about how, you know, he turned this around mentally. And I knew someone who was watching this live. She had tickets for the women's final, and this match was kind of a bonus two sets they got. And she did let me know while text during the match that, you know, sometimes you don't realize that how much, uh, you know, the crowd is uh, sometimes not with Djokovic. He's such a decorated champion, but it was a very pro-Nadal crowd. Granted, they didn't boo him, or but it was uh, the crowd let, you know, it was pretty obvious who they were rooting. And, and a lot of times, Djokovic does find his best when uh, the chips are, you know, stacked against him. And this was another occasion. He wasn't too animated. Uh, he had some moments when he fired himself up. He didn't probably let him uh, get bothered. But this is just a testimony to his toughness. Very often that he finds this, you know, he did it against Federer a few times in New York. And on this very court, two years in a row when he won the championship. And today, the crowd was pro Natal. So, how you... Uh, how are you going to break that down, like what you saw in Djokovic? Because the crowd was not, uh, you know, evenly decide, you know, divided. And uh, these things sometimes do take its toll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and to the crowd, I, I think that, like, you know, this was... There still felt like Djokovic was finding his 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 mental toughness throughout. And, 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 uh, and, and even when, you know, usually you do see him... Um, getting into antics with the crowd, you know, you think back to so many memorable matches, 2011 uh, US Open semis with Federer, you know, just getting them involved, even if it's, even if it's like against him, but he, he you know, he wants to, he wants to be loved and he usually finds a way to, uh, to rally them with, with an amazing point. I think he did that at some point in the fifth. And then I think that's when we saw him, you know, come back to his old self. Um, but, 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 uh, you know, his composure and his mental time is really, I think that's what, because he wasn't, you know, he was, he was not getting to drop shots. And, and Nadal, Nadal took full advantage of the fact that Djokovic was slower than his best. So to pull this out, I mean, you really have to think that it was, it was more, it, you know, mentally he was, he was the stronger uh, opponent today. Uh, I, I would disagree yeah. there, Vinny, and I'll bring Raul in just a second on this. Uh, and Raul, you can answer this. But I think, uh, I wouldn't call Djokovic a slightly slower. Maybe it's a long match, very physical. But Djokovic was giving more uh, territory in the baseline. He was standing way too behind. And Nadal executed the drop shot repeatedly well. Uh, and he had Djokovic disguised, so Djokovic couldn't make it. So Raul, take the drop shot uh, scenario and then uh, break, us, uh, break it down for us. If Djokovic played Nadal differently than he has in the past. Yeah, regarding the drop shots, it did work. But correct me if I'm wrong, the penultimate point 
in the third set tiebreak. Nadal botched a break. You can't even call it a botch. But the drop shot, Novak made that drop shot. And Rafa's reaction said it all. I mean, he was disgusted. And then on the next point, obviously Novak rallied and rallied. And then Rafa ended with the backhand error. Am I correct on that one? I think the penultimate point, Rafa played a drop shot. And then, yep. or, no, no, I think it was, no, I'm wrong. It was actually a half ball that Rafa skied up. And then uh, Novak hit cross court. And even in the, in the game, which he finally got broken in the fifth, it was a drop shot that Novak tracked down. So in the important moments, the drop shot actually uh, caught up with Rafa at the death. Um, and with regards to how Novak played this match, as I say, it's passive Novak. But funny enough, on on the on the big points, he was more aggressive. If you look at uh, wasn't it the first at fifteen forty, the first point, he hits an aggressive backhand down the line, and Rafa has a forced error, and then he aces on the next one, which is incredible. But so, mean, so so let me take that point. I mean, how many? How many matches in the last, I mean, in this decade where has Novak won against Rafa being the counterpuncher? When Rafa's, uh, you know, uh, attacking game has been on, has been firing away. I mean, I think, I think that's why this match was a bit strange to me. Like, it felt like Rafa, that down the line was working, the drop shot was working, the all-court game was kind of working. So where, why, you know, why did he lose? <laughs> I, I don't... Yeah, you know... I... Sorry, you know, the ba- as were, the backhand down the line it was there in the first set. For some reason, I admit he lost some confidence here. But when, when, when Djokovic plays enough backhand down the lines to wrap his backhand, he's usually in control of the points, I feel. What do you guys think on that one? Uh, I think you hit on something very interesting there in the first set. And then at the uh, closing moments of the last set, when they were like five or six all, I think Djokovic started mixing it up well. Uh, he would go on backhand down the line and then open the court with forehand, uh, sorry, backhand cross court. And that's when he started, I think, uh, you know, it looked, started looking like the Djokovic of, you know, like a recent past where he was dominating. Uh, still ways to go, but I think this was a very impressive match. And, you know, uh, it's a very physical match. So I agree with you. The patterns looked uh, you know, they were vaguely all over the place, but when the moments, you know, in the decisive moments, I think Novak uh, tightened his play, and uh, and like you said, the patterns looked very, you know, reminiscent of what he used to do. So, Rahul, let me ask you this now. He played two days back-to-back, and this tennis was very different than the than the other tennis match, which uh, had six and a half hours between Kevin Anderson and uh, John Isner. So... <laughs> Who do you think is at more of a disadvantage physically when they take the court tomorrow for the final? I think it becomes equal, I'll be honest with you, because Kevin has had two nights of sleep. I really think, and I'm also looking at it from the perspective of, yeah, there'll be muscle tightness, you know, the shoulder, because Anderson and Isner were just starving most of the time. But when you look at it in context as well, not many rallies. So, and he's going to have two... Um, Two nights of sleep. Novak will get one night of rest. Uh, but, you know, Novak playing a player who's that big, you know, the drop shot is, is key for him. And like moving Kevin Anderson side to side, some serve and volley should be good. But I think and like his own serve, his own serve, like he must serve well. Because I think once he gets broken, it's going to get tough. Because I found it fascinating 
that in this match, when he played Rafa, uh, his return of stuff, I don't think it was up to scratch. Eh? What do you guys think on that one? His return of stuff wasn't just up to pop for me. So, you want to take that? Sure, sure. So, I mean, I, you know, Rafa's serving was, was really interesting. I think he's, he's learned to vary it more. So if you look at, Yes. Look at the fifth set, you know, the one coming, the lefty one coming into Novak's body on the ad court. Novak must have missed, you know, four or five of those of those forehand returns where the ball was coming in. And and so I, I would agree. I don't think the return game was as sharp. Um, but uh, but, you know, he he hung in there and and, you know, we got to give credit to him to like to have that self-belief and to. You know, he, he, that, that, that um, muscle memory and that memory of beating Nadal is, is there somewhere inside Djokovic, you know, and then he brought that out and, and, and was able to create a victory out of it. So, I mean, hats off to him. I, I, you know, and, and that, um, you know, I really thought Nadal played almost a perfect game strategically. So, to me, it was really interesting that Novak won this match. Don't you think it's fascinating how Djokovic has showed up this year, specifically against Rafa? In tournaments, if I look at 2015, he's played ho-hum, but when he reaches that stage where he plays the Federer or Rafa, something changes in him. I mean, his game elevates. It's incredible. It is. I mean, I think, Raul, you, you definitely, this is something, uh, what you mentioned, I've, I've said many times uh, to friends when we've discussed tennis, and even, I think, on the podcast, I think Federer and Nadal in these big stages would be the ultimate test, I think, because when he sees them across the net and as purely, you know, out of respect between the three, uh, his game would elevate it. And today was one classic example. So Novak has done this before when he was playing some of his solid, you know, best tennis. Like 2012 uh, semifinals against Andy Murray in Australia was a very physical match. And it's one of my favorite Djokovic-Murray matches. This is when Lendl had come on board. And then Djokovic played that marathon final two days later to beat Nadal. But right now, there is not much turnaround time. So, Vinny, let me ask you this one. I know uh, as much of a mental battle it is, it's also going to be a physical battle. Rahul said uh, it should be not, you know, they should be kind of even. Uh, how do you see when both men take the court tomorrow? Anderson must have some, you know, tightness, like a muscle tightness, because he played two, fifths, two five sets in which he spent 74 games, counting the 24 games against Federer and then 50 games against Isner. So, what's your preview of uh, that match, uh, purely in terms of like who's who's a fitter man coming in? Right. So, I mean, I have to say, like, even you know, even uh, after the match with Federer in the quarters for Anderson, like to come back and play another, you know, the longest match in Wimbledon history right after that. Oh, sorry, the second longest match, but the most time in in one day. Um, Anderson has obviously worked extremely hard on his fitness. Like he even even in the later stages of that match with Isner, he was looking he was looking like he still had you know things left in the tank. And and add to that like this sort of change in his positive psychology, you know, like he you know he's got the commands and like uh you know people you know he's clearly clearly worked on having that positive attitude and, and, and match that with some incredible fitness. You know, that being said, uh, I, I still think going, you know, playing two back-to-back five-setters and going into a fifth set, 26-24 at the end, uh, or 
uh, I think I think Djokovic has the clear the, the clear edge, um, and I and I, I think Kevin Anderson. I mean, even at full fitness, would have had his hands full with uh, Novak. So so I'm giving and I to me it seems like Djokovic has this one in the bag. Uh, Raul, you remember they played a match here three years ago, and Anderson had match points. Uh, walk us through how both men are different today than that meeting three years ago on court one or center court. Again, it's, it's as um, uh, as Vinny was saying, Kevin should be tired, but he'll be running on adrenaline, and he must be saying to himself, "Listen, last match, um, my next tournament is probably." In Canada, you know, he'll probably take an extended break or play Washington, whatever the case. But he'll say to himself, "Listen, last match, I, you know, I'm gonna just go out there and I must pour out all my energy." And seeing Djokovic struggling with Rafa's uh, serving and knowing that his reactions must be much quicker for Anderson's serve. I mean, Anderson's second serve is as quick as Rafa's first serve. <laughs> kind of. That's a, that's a good point. So, uh, if, uh, if, sorry, going back to 2015, I mean, Kevin played nothing to lose. Kevin got the first two tie breaks. He tightened up. I remember the Chris game dropped dramatically in sets three and four. They came back the following day. Uh, Kevin had break points. I remember that time. Yeah, Anderson didn't have much to lose. I mean, if you think about it, like, Novak was... It's funny, Novak was coming off a rough loss, so people didn't expect him to pick up. But just looking at that, just isolating that match, you know, that Novak was still playing great tennis. Forwarding it to now, um, again, like Anderson has nothing to lose, but I mean, if you consider Anderson's size, even though he moves good for, for a big person, in you know, Novak, if he just, you know, like. Right. Left, right. Left. Right, uh, I think it's key. But more than anything, it's uh, in myself. Because if you drop stuff, I mean, Anderson, this stuff, I mean, it's definitely dangerous. Right, right. That makes sense. Um... So let me ask you, Vinny, if you were to predict, I know we're like, you know, less than, uh, say, 15 hours away from the clash. Who is winning this Wimbledon tomorrow? I'll put you on the spot first. So I I think I have Djokovic in uh, four sets, uh, with maybe with maybe some a little bit of uh, tension here and there, uh, but uh, you know a couple of tight sets. But I think Djokovic in four is what I'm predicting to, tomorrow. Raul, do you say it the same way? Definitely Djokovic. I'm going to say. Yeah, in four sets sounds right, but it'll take. If Kevin does win one, it, it might be a tiebreak. Um, I mean, outdoor. I mean, maybe you guys can clear this up with me. If the roof is closed, I mean, is it slower conditions technically, or is it faster? Because now the outdoor match, uh, things become slower or faster. Do you think it helped Anderson? Like, uh, let's say if this final was played indoors. Like, would it favor Anderson, for example? Okay, this is something very confusing between, you know, all of us fans. We've heard different things, but I remember when the roof was closed uh, during the Djokovic-Federer uh, match in the 2012 semifinals, Darren Cahill said, it's going to be humid, 
it's going to be muggy, it's going to be slightly slower, but it's there's going to be no elements. So he said advantage Federer. And that was news to me because I thought when it's indoors, indoors is always fast. But I think indoor fast uh, misconception goes back to the carpet years when Becker and Sampras dominated. So those were faster, low-bounce courts, and indoor had no elements. So stronger guys like Becker, Safin, Sampras, Lubicic, they all did well on indoors. But indoor also means slightly slower condition because the ball doesn't travel that fast, and, but there are no elements. So when there are no elements, I think Djokovic, along with Federer, is one of the best indoor players of all time. So advantage Djokovic if it's indoors. But if it's outdoors, I still think Djokovic has more in the tank mentally. Uh, it's going to be interesting how he recovers physically. I don't know if I've answered your question, but I also side with you guys. Uh, it's going to be very hard to see Kevin Anderson win this now, but uh, it's a new day. But I'll still give it Djokovic in four, four tight sets, maybe a couple of tie breaks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, we might, you know, how about for you, Raul, as a, a being a South African, or are, are you South African, or are you supporting Anderson in any way? What's the what's the feeling in South Africa there? Um, yeah, everything was going crazy in the papers uh, from Wednesday onwards. Um, me being a Federer fan, it was uh, quite a shock because I remember Federer had a play on the break point, and I thought, okay, you know, if he made him play a volley, maybe Kevin would miss the volley or just something. But yeah, anyway, just to uh, I don't want to sidetrack on that match, but um, yeah, no, I, it must be. Uh, I'm hoping to see uh, Djokovic win, and then it'll be amazing, right? Because then you had Federer, Australia, Rafa French, um, Novak here, and it sets up very nicely for the US Open. So let me ask you, since you guys brought in Federer in the conversation, I was going to do that maybe later on, but how important this match in the context of you know the Grand Slam race that's been going on between these three? I know Novak has not won something in a couple of years, but he can very well get back in the race tomorrow. So in terms of, you know, Nadal could have had 18 had he won uh, this Sunday, but now it's still 2017. It could be 2017-13 or it could stay 2017-12 if Anderson pulls the upset. So how important is this match? Both of you can go at this question. Vinny, you go first and then Raul, you can go in the context of overall this race. So, I, you know... Every, I mean, these these players are now Federer is thirty six. Uh, I think Nadal and Djokovic are both thirty one, if I'm correct. Um, and so, you know, this is, you know, every every chain, every Grand Slam opportunity is that much more important as they get to the later stage of their career. And so, if this is really a turnaround for Djokovic, uh, you know, he we like we were saying, I mean. Federer has uh, has to thank him the most because uh, he's he's really prevented Nadal from from a lot of, getting a lot of uh, more slams uh, as Nadal has prevented Federer, and so I think if this is a turnaround for Djokovic, Djokovic is right back in the mix. Uh, if if we see him play at at old Djokovic levels, I don't see why he's not winning two three more over the next couple of years at least. No. Believe in the goat debate, but if, if if I had to, I'd just say it's like a throne, and the three of them are on there together. They'll end the, their three careers, as Andre Agassi said, I think around 2011, that the three of them may be the three greatest players to ever live. Uh, I still feel 
you know, I think Federer will end his career as most successful of all time. Uh, I personally don't believe he's the greatest of all time. Um, you know, obviously Novak and Rafa, you know, have hurt him there. Um, I hope, though, you know, Novak does uh, surpass Sampras. Um, and he still has a shot uh, uh, for the uh, double uh, career slam, as does Rafa. I mean, both of them still are playing great, you know, so they could win one more. Uh, Australia for Rafa, uh, French for Novak, depending on Rafa, obviously. But it's interesting. Right, right. So I know, you know Raul, you said you don't uh, believe in the GOAT debate, and that's fine. You know, that's an endless debate anyway. There's no way to, you know, uh, drive this conversation because they all have the very strong cases. And you're right, Djokovic, even with 12, uh, has a very stellar case himself. But in terms of just the race for who has the most successful slam, this, this match had a great context. And Novak Djokovic oh, yes, did yes, yes. run the feather out in some way. Yeah, it would have been 18 majors and then two away. And, I mean, look, if, if Rafa also has, you know, starts tailoring his schedule maybe for next year, so say play Australia, pretty much, like, I would, if I'm him, skip February and the whole of March. Uh, Which he did this year. Then, uh, sorry? Which exactly he did this year, not by design. He was hurt, but he didn't yes, play yes. till the uh, Davis Cup in Monte Carlo. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I think, you know, next year... Um, I think he should make a, a conscious effort to uh, skip those two months and then come back, you know, just strong. Because, I mean, let's be honest, like, what do Novak and Rafa need to have more masters for? I mean, right now it's about the Grand Slams, you know, for these guys. Right, right. And uh, also, let's talk about Roger Federer before we end this uh, call. Uh, Vinny, uh, he, he was supposed he was the overwhelming favorite, and it was still, you know, a very shocking loss. But credit to Kevin Anderson. So, where does Federer go from here? According to you, last year he had an injury in Montreal that affected his uh, uh, U.S. Open preparations. He did not play Cincinnati. That's been his happy hunting ground. Do you see this loss some sort of a blessing in disguise that Federer can now refocus? As uh, he won't be the clear favorite if Djokovic does win Wimbledon, the focus would be on the three of them. You think that serves Federer better that he? won't come into New York as an overwhelming favorite and maybe this could be his one of his last chances there? So, you know, he... Let, let's, I think, first recognize, I think, you know, the la, the year he had last year, to me, has to be um, uh, as, mu- as exceptional and as much of a surprise as we can expect at this stage of Federer's career. I haven't seen that level or that form this year, even though he m- won the Australian. And I think Federer is going to do what he does best, which is, which is, yeah, you know, go in, go into every Grand Slam uh, with the with the right tailoring and the right preparation, and and maximize his chances by by playing playing all of them. Um, I mean, well, besides the French, uh, playing the rest, and 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 you know, uh, when when he's playing a lesser opponent, uh, there's no. There's no, there's no player who has a more easy game uh, to be able to come through and then and then take his chances against you know in the later stages. So I think he'll keep doing that. Um, I think I think uh, you know the, I, I I do agree he's not the favorite at the U.S. Open, but but you know if one of these guys, I I think beating both of them 
in the same Grand Slam is a tall order now at this stage. But yeah, he's got to maximize the denominator and just play play as long as he can and as many as he can. And then I'm sure he'll get a you know at least one or two more. Sure, uh, Rahul, uh, your thoughts on this? Cincinnati would be great for a victory. It's interesting if you will play. Are they? Is it take place in Toronto or Montreal this year? Uh, Toronto. Sure. Toronto. Yeah. Toronto. Uh, it'll be good if you can play both. I mean, it is. Um, you know, this loss should hurt him. He, he, he took that extended period. He played a good two weeks. Uh, would have been nice if he had won the final in Canada as well. But uh, I mean, look. I mean, he's probably. I don't know. He's 36, 37. So you know, it does, maybe does get worn down faster. But all the losses he's taken. If we if we go through all of them, I'd have to bring up the page on my computer. But all of the losses dating back to the Donfoy loss, uh, it's all mental. He had match points there. He had match points in the last match last year. He, which other match? He had set points at the U.S. Open to at least go two sets to one up against Delpo. All the losses he's taken as of late, very mental. I mean, I don't know if he's nervous about finding cracking uh, the. Yeah, th- those those are you know uh, like you point uh, some hard losses for Federer and uh, he. But the positive uh, outlook is he was in those matches, even the Del Potro match at Indian Wells. He had championship points. So anyway, I think we covered a lot, guys, and uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, and we should do you know one more podcast, you know, during the U.S. hardcore swing when uh, the heat is on during Cincinnati and Toronto swing. Once again, thanks for joining, and hopefully everybody who listens to this podcast enjoys the conversation.